Stanford University. So this is, um, again, Bob Oster, Brandon Cope, and Charles Phillips. And uh, um, I, I will say we're really lucky because they really have a different perspective on investing than, he, than each other does. And they both are involved with really good organizations. Charles with one he's creating himself through his search fund. Brandon with Peterson Ventures, which is really an excellent investor. And then Bob really through a network of people who have invested in search funds for a long time. And Bob, I noticed humbly on his, modestly on his, on his bio left out that he was CFO of a division of ITEL and, and Syntex and Oracle for when they went public. So um, we have some good, good brain power in this room. Um, if I could, oh my God, let's try this over this way. Sorry, Jefferson. Um, is that okay? Can you see over me okay? Um, why don't I go, I'll just sit over here. So would you guys comment on, especially the first 100 days in which you've seen people do well? Um, you can feel free to comment on other parts, but I do want to get on to more of the questions that are specific to you. But on the first 100 days, and then anything else that jumps out at you from the discussion. Bob, would you, would you start? I just wrote down three notes. Uh, it's not, not exactly the first 100 days, but I just thought that the deal was put together on a false premise. And if I had been an advisor to the search funder, I'd say find out, you know, you should establish enough credibility with a seller that he's happy to introduce you to employees and customers uh, and is not giving you the standoff malarkey about, uh, you know, I'm just not sure how you're going to bolt and how everybody's going to react. Uh, once you're in there, the t two things I've observed, um, Answering, having a good answer to the question, how do I know what I think I know about the business? And we talked about following the cash and all those things. And the most effective thing I've seen is people get involved in the business. They spend some time with the salespeople, or they've gone on the shop floor. Hopefully, it's not a manufacturing deal. Or they looked at how the software, whatever it is. Uh, the thing that the biggest mistake uh, new entrepreneurs make my experience in that first 100 days is they're confronted a problem and they immediately try and figure out how to solve it. That's a waste of time. What they should think about is who do I know that's dealt with this one before? And the chances are really good if you built your investor base with people who bring more to the table than money and you've got a board that's, there's somebody who you can identify and say, I'll bet, and call them. And that's a huge time saver. So what I'd say, first of all, there's, there's not a, a right answer, so I'll, I'll give you my opinion. But I, I thought the opinions shared were, were really solid. And I think my one point that I'll make is, is tied to Bob's, which is, you know, as MBA students, what you love to do is overanalyze everything. So the first thing you want to do is go in and build some complex model, right, to figure out how to run this business. And I would say, actually, take a step back. And I don't know if you prioritize this, if, these, if it was in order, but you mentioned calm the people get to know the people. I would say make it a people thing first. You know, really get to know the people. Let down some of the analytical prowess that you have and just, you know, treat it as uh, getting to know individuals, getting out on the shop floor, getting to know the people. I think that's the biggest flaw I've seen is just overanalyzing everything and taking too much of an analytical approach. You got to have it, but remember you're dealing with people and, and typically they're not people like you. These are people that may have barely graduated high school. So, different. Thank you. I mean, I'm a bit of a ringer. I've never bought a business. I've run them before. 
Um, and, and what I can say that, that, that I would – I'm class of 99, so I'm sitting where most of y'all were sitting some years ago. But what I can say is you have to let your employees do their jobs. And I will tell you that as an MBA, your tendency is going to be to believe that you can do what they do better than they do it. And it's important to remember that your primary job there, probably through most of the time that you're at that company, if not the entire time, is not to do anyone's job for them, but to make them – put them in a situation where they can most effectively do their job, which means you basically are a servant of your employees. So you have to remember that because most times – I mean, you're going to find yourself in a situation where there are guys who can shut your whole company down if you don't get along with them. And how do you deal with that? You don't run in there and confront them and say, well, you know, I've, I've done all the analytics. I know the smart thing to do. You may have to – I mean, you may have to swallow your tongue. You may have to swallow your entire pride and just work with that guy until he gets right and eventually comes to respect you. But still, your job is to serve the business. So you have to do whatever it takes to keep things going at the risk of, you know, proving that you're the smartest guy in the room, which you won't be anymore. Thank you. Okay, we have a set of questions that uh – that I'd like to run through and then um, give time for the students to ask some questions too. And actually what I may do is go through some of these and then open it up more broadly to make sure we, we uh, cover student questions. Um, so are traditional search fund investors still investing? Yes. <laughs> I, I would say yes. Um, what I've seen is that uh, there's been a, a proliferation in search funds and so I think a lot of the investors are you know, into a lot of the funds, somewhat tapped out. Um, but that said, if a great search funder comes along, I think people are still investing and looking for great opportunities. We raised our money last November, so I'd have to say they are. <laughs> I mean, there's more money now than it was then. So, yeah, money absolutely. Talks, then it's Brandon's point's yes. a good one, though, and that is there are, there are a couple of dozen or three, I don't know how many. There's a number of people who have been doing this for a long time. Uh, and uh, and are still doing it, but the the volume of potential search funders relative to that pool means you've got we've got to those of you who want to do this have got to find other people to bring into the fold. Uh, I mean, I couldn't. I'm seeing people at the rate of one, sometimes two a week, and I mean, there's just no way in the world I could do all those deals. I want to be helpful any way I can. So, yeah, we're all investing. Uh, but we need more investors relative to the search funders. What do you look for in search in a search fund when you when you? God. <laughs> I'm sorry to be smart, Alec. I don't know that I have a good answer to that personally. I mean, like you're all bright, goal-oriented, uh, articulate, have good resumes, um, and, and now there are more experienced people. So for the potential investor, you know, uh, identifying the right ones uh, that you want to do with, uh, you know, have a have a lot to do with the, you know, the personal connection, but also your ability to clearly differentiate yourself. Uh, uh, and I, I don't have a specific guideline on how to do that, but you you need to put some energy into it because it, compared to when I started out. You know, and I'd see one or two a year, and they were all sent to me by Irv. Uh, it was a lot easier than when you're seeing 30 a year, uh, and they're all very qualified. And, and so the advice I give them is start thinking about what, how it is, why you're going to win, and how you, can, how you can convey that to somebody. 
Yeah, I'm going to agree with that and then add, add something to it. I, I think differentiation. So just in the last two weeks, I've probably looked at close to 10 search funders. And what's different about you? That's always my first question now is just tell me what's different because your resumes look exactly the same. So what's different? Have you operated a company? Have, do you have some sourcing advantage? Um, did you beat Lance Armstrong in the Tour de France or something You know, that's, that's really interesting? that really sets you apart from, from others. So I'd think about that. The second thing that, that we look for is really, um, and I'm oversimplifying here, what we see are two types of people generally, analysts and managers, okay? And, and I think typically, based on the backgrounds that most of you have, you tend to be extremely good analysts, and you've proven that, but there's less proof about a great manager and a great leader. So if there's some way that you can demonstrate that you have the ability to lead, to manage, right? When, when I talked to Joel Peterson about um, Jim and Kevin, who I didn't realize this until I talked to Jim today, they didn't have, they had consulting, banking backgrounds. He could see, what he mentions is that leadership ability that he saw in them, right? That ability to manage. So think about how do you demonstrate that, that ability? Um, you know, I think the other thing that, that we look for is you know, Bob said, God, I mean, the full skill set, right, which is, uh, you know, can you source, can you do a transaction, can you lead, can you get to an exit, whatever that means. So I would look at yourselves and say, look, if I don't have these skill sets, then maybe it makes sense to have a partner who will, will bring that. So we look for all the skills, whether it's in an individual or a partnership. But I think you need to have the full package because others do. And your references are really critical because I always check them and I always ask who do you know that can tell me something about this people so we keep you know I keep pushing and uh, uh, so their their references are a really valuable resource for an investor to get the answers to the questions that Brendan was raising you know, I mean if I talk to a former employer and I say are you going to invest with them and they say yes, and I say why, and they explain to me because whatever it is, he, he or she can do the stuff you need done, and here are some examples. That's that's really valuable, and so uh, you need to be mindful of who it is. Uh, you know, you're you're going to use as references in in what they're going to say about you, and how they can validate whatever your position is. Yeah, he Opinion, Charles, of what people are looking for in the search funders or the? Yeah, I think that in this environment, you're going to also have to prove people that you're not just doing this because there's anything else available. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I hate to be that way, but for me, I quit my job last March. Well, March of, uh, what is this now? I quit in March of 08. And, and pretty much, I, I didn't do anything from March of 08 till November of, of 08 except raise money. Uh, and I pretty much let everybody know. I mean, I, most of the guys in this room have spoken to me who aren't you. And I said, hey, I'm going to get this done one way or the other. If i got to you know, go to Timbuktu to raise the money, I'm going to get it done. But I will spend two years trying to raise the money to get there. Um, you ask yourself if you have that kind of commitment to this. And if you don't, you know, it, it may be a sign that this is not what you want to do. Because, I mean, the process is, is hard beyond that. Running a business is really tough. So, you know, one of the problems that I faced is when I came out, there was this huge metric of guys running around saying, hey, I raised my money in three months. That wasn't me. Uh, but on the other hand, what I was able to say is I walked away from a job that paid me $300,000 a year 
to come do this for you know 80 grand and, and try to find a business to buy. That was my differentiator. Do any of you have differentiators like that? And you don't have to have them now, but you can build them. So if you really want to do this, I mean, are you prepared to take two years to go get another job that will shore up what you don't have and then come back and do this? If you, if you have that kind of story, that's gonna, you're going to eventually get it done. But if it's something that you look up a year from now and say, God, what did I do with my time? You, you might not want to do it anyway, especially in this environment. What do you... What do you think makes a successful search fund acquisition? So um, in, the, in the deals you've done that have turned out well, or you've seen them turned out well, what do you think makes a successful deal? That's a tough question to answer. That's why I knew you could handle it. Be because uh, search funds, in many respects, are, are uh, it, the one, one of the things that search funds have in common with the venture business is not always, but most of the time, companies can be wildly successful for reasons that had nothing to do with why you invested in the first place. Now, I could give you lots of examples, and two of them are right here in the room. Uh, uh, so the, 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 the successful ones just have a lot, in my case, uh, I don't know whether it was luck or good judgment, just picking the right entrepreneur who had the passion and dedication uh, to operate on the premise that there's no problem that can't be solved and, and I'm going to make this thing successful. And I say that because the, the, we're picking from a pool of really bright, capable people. Uh, I don't think I could point to specific kinds of businesses. Uh, and I've been in, been in situations that have failed where the due diligence process was spectacular, but something got missed. So it's, it's all about you. Yeah, that, that's a tough one. Um, I, I agree, you, you know, the, the people, I mean, sitting next to him, right, I would invest in him right now. I, I, could, I could sense, I could sense the, the tenacity, you know, I'm giving this up, no matter what, I'm going to make this happen. So I, I think there's a huge bet on the person. I mean, if you think about it from our perspective, at least in the, the initial phase, we're only underwriting an individual. So we have to believe that this person, no matter what comes, a market that completely blows up, you know, other changes that they'll face, that this person can get it done and figure it out. That means buying one business and turning it into something else or, you know, whatever the circumstance. So the, the, the individual is a huge component for us. Um, but then, you know, the, the deal itself, we look at it the same way you do. So we look at the market. You know, if it's, a, if it's a growing market, we're a lot more excited than if it's flat or in decline, even if you think it's a great business. Um, you know, we're going to look at the product and the competitive advantage and the stickiness of customers. So there's, there's nothing new here that I'm going to tell you uh, is sort of the secret sauce. It's the things that you look at um, when you pitch yourself and say, look, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what we're going to go after. The best businesses that we've seen are people with the great, you know, great uh, entrepreneurs and typically in industries that are growing where the dynamics of, you know, the company or what you'd, what you'd want around recurring revenue and so forth. So I, I would add, you know, let me weigh in here too. I think there are, um, there are better companies and there are better search classes. So I think people who buy companies in really good industries, as we talked about earlier in the class, 
are much more likely to be successful. They buy companies that don't have big problems right away. Um, you know, we had a big problem right away, which I'll talk a little bit about later. Uh, and we've got through it, but that's, you know, that's a little atypical. If you, people have time to figure out the business, figure out the company in a good industry and find new ways to grow. Sometimes the industry you're in is, is different than the industry you thought you were in, and, and that can be good or bad, but, but I think that's the case. And I, I, I look for searchers to be successful, and I have not invested in a lot, um, uh, but I look for searchers who are really driven, who are motivated, who, I mean, who have the qualities that Charles articulated well, who have good interpersonal skills. They can sell. I think they can sell to customers. I think they can sell to hourly employees. I think they can sell to investors. I think they can sell to bankers, who are all very different, but who, and a lot of that is listening skill, um, but who have this, those really good interpersonal qualities, um, and then have enough of the other things to be, to be successful. But those are the things that seem to stand out to me a little bit to the, to the folks who, and it's not, it's not a science, uh, but those, and I, you know, but those are things that I guess I, I would say I'd look for. Has Bill Egan been a speaker to the yep. group? Yep. Well, he's got a, a, a saying you know, I love, you know, which is, you know, there are hard ways to make money and there are easy ways to make money. And I really want to do easy ways to make money. And a way to define an easy way to make money, if you think about companies you're going to buy, I use the term, the business has to be tractable. And that means you, the there's no job in that company you couldn't do if you had to. And that means when you're going in the door, you know, the, the, the dependence on the people in the company is different than it is if you buy, for example, a technology company. And there's a VP of manufacturing who knows something about whatever that is, the, the process of, of putting together the hula hoop and baba loop, that there's no way you can ever learn. That's really, that, that's a recipe for disaster. Uh, but so thinking, so you know, to the extent that you avoid that problem and you avoid, uh, you know, manufacturing company, that's kind of a hard way to make money versus being a PEO. Uh, so I, I, those are things that can get you in trouble. But it is betting on the people. It's different from venture in that regard. I mean, every venture guy has a different approach. But you know, in venture, you're creating a market, you're playing a game of typically technical leapfrog. You can get there first ahead of everybody else. By the time somebody comes in to jump you, you know, you're ahead of them. Uh, you're, you, you're relatively, you know, there's, you're a little harsher on the management notion that the idea is you can always find a manager to solve that problem. In this deal, you're betting, the, the bet from the investor is on you. And that's where I start. Uh, and that's what you're selling. Uh, when, when investors do see an opportunity, what do they want to see in terms of the opportunity to when you find when they find a company from search funders? So they, do they want to see sort of an idea or a full deal book, or do they, do they want to see the letter of intent and the correspondence? How much how much information and and how do you want it structured when you're an investor looking at a company? Well, I was I think it depends on the investor. So we're because we're pretty active, we actually like to see a lot of it. Um, yeah, I think other investors may may not want to see as much information. So, from our perspective, I think if you talk to some of the search funders that we've invested in recently, you know, we say, look, we have an open door policy. You know, send us, give us a call if you've got an idea or you're looking into a particular industry, give us a call. You know, if you're getting ready to put together an LOI and you want us to look at us, give us a call. So, I, I think we actually like 
to see more than less, but other investors may uh, may differ. Any opinion on that, Charles? I mean, Bob's standing order is don't send in an LOI unless I or somebody I know has looked at it. And I think that's a good one. Well, and I, but I like to be involved in the process early. Uh, I mean, I've my pitch for years is my heart and my mind follows my money, period. And so, you know, if I'm an investor, you're going to get me as long as with everything else. And I like to help shape, uh, you know, where somebody is going. I mean, if they bring, so if you come to me with an idea, I mean, I'll tell you whether I think it's a good idea or a bad idea, and, and, and if, if I think it's a bad idea, I usually say, don't no, don't take it from me. Talk to some of your other investors. But that's a good way to avoid wasting a whole lot of time. Uh, and I also like to talk about all the psychological aspects of the business. You know, what are the characteristics of the seller? I mean, the, the, the fundamentals of the business we can get to. So I like to be involved in that process. The flip side is, uh, you know, I'm... I have to go back and look at specific cases, but I'm. It's frustrating for me if somebody, you know, all of a sudden springs something on me and says, you know, it's got a complete package, and I'm sort of having to get everything, get up to speed on everything at once. But I, that's me, and I, I yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, most of the people I've invested with tend to be like that. They want to be a part of the process because we. Yeah, you get to be old and gray, you think you bring something to the table. It may not be true, but I mean, you ought to pander to that just a little bit by, by exploiting it. But, but if I could say one quick thing, I mean, when you're out there trying to find deals, like right now, we, we find a lot of stuff, and the seller or their representative, depending on the situation, tries to rush us. So they will say, well, you, you know, this is the deal of the century. You got three days to get X, X and Y and Z in, plus you need to be on a plane meeting with the owners in New York tomorrow. And, and your tendency is to want to say, yeah, yeah, we got to do that. And it's good to have someone like Bob or someone, you know, make sure you have two or three advisors that you can call when you get a little nervous to try to slow yourself down because you will forget to do that. And so for us, I mean, there's somebody told me you need to be in Atlanta on Wednesday. And I'm like, for what? Like, I don't I just bumped into you guys. It's, it's nice talking to you. I, we've, we've loosely got deal terms. I know you kind of want five and a half times, but I haven't really spent a lot of time talking to Bob about his logistics. We've spent a little bit of time, so it's not like this is the first time he's hearing about it, but we haven't talked through, talked it through, and so if I'm a smart guy, I'm just going to get down there. But I don't know what they want, and I haven't talked to what my investors about what they want. So if it's not financeable, if it's a situation where I may be walking into something that I don't really understand, I probably don't need to touch it. But the big deal for me is, I mean, there's this old Richard Pryor joke. They listen to old people because they didn't get to be old by being no fool. And I try to talk to my investors. <laughs> That's great. Let's. Uh, I'm going to open up for questions here, Victor. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about. So, so you know, let's assume you, you know, folks have found a company, folks who've invested in a founded company. Um, they get through the first hundred days. What are some of the, the the stories that you've seen where one company was headed, you know, in a certain direction? Maybe it was a car loan company or whatever, and it became a totally different company. And if you could, if there's one or two illustrations of that that you've seen. Well, I mean, Assurian and Pacific Pulmonary are, are, you know, are great examples. I mean, Assurian uh, started out, you guys were looking for uh, tow truck companies and bought, we bought a tow truck. well, you know, roadside <laughs> assistance, you know, 
Uh, oh yeah, it was a tow truck. I used to ride, used to ride around a tow truck. <laughs> <laughs> and and, uh, and so they 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 bought that company and with a lot of machinations. In fact, when they wanted to go into handset insurance, most of the directors and I and one thought it was a dumb idea because we couldn't understand why anybody would want to insure the phone because they were so darn cheap. Uh, and so from you know, but what they understood was that you know the real core idea in in roadside assistance, the profitability was a function of utilization, which they never did learn how to manage, but fortunately they found something else to do. But that, you know, they had an insight and they took it in that direction. In the case of Pacific Pulmonary, it started out as a durable medical equipment company. And, uh, you know, specialized wheelchairs were kind of an interesting market and an interesting business, but had all kinds of problems. And, but they had this other little thing they were doing, oxygen and meds. Well, you know, the rest is history. Uh, in my experience, Karen Moriarty at Caroline is the only one that started out as an assisted living business, but it was a venture, actually it was a venture, and wound up as an assisted living business. Uh, and what, what's usually going on is an insight by the entrepreneur or his team about some, some something that's happening in the business uh, and they're thinking strategically not tactically uh, and I could give you some examples in the venture business but I mean that's that, that that seems to be the common denominator where you have this dramatic change and uh, you know the the, the the big difference between being in a venture deal in a, a search fund is my own personal experience is that the directors of search fund companies are far more amenable to redirection by the entrepreneur than they are in venture deals because venture deals are heavily, uh, you know, typical he heavy bets on a market and creating a market, and you're you're always hesitant to make a strategic change until the company is really well off the ground. But the neat thing about what you want to do is typically, if you do it right, you buy a company that has revenue and profits and cash flow, which are Pretty, pretty slick. Other questions? Uh, for the uh, the investors, two related questions. I guess first, um, what percent of people you fund to search do you end up funding for the actual acquisition? And then, I guess a corollary to that is when you make a bet on the person um, for the search component, do you think of it as making a bet on the person, or do you think of it as paying sort of a nominal fee to really get an option that's sort of a, essentially a first look, a proprietary look at the deal. So say paying you know, 15 or 20 grand, and in return you get sort of a first look at a couple of proprietary deals over the next couple of years. Oh, I'm betting on the person. I'm not, I'm not looking for a, a cheap option on a, on a blind pool. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think I've got a percentage. Uh, I mean, I've been fairly free with my advice on whether I, you know, I've, there, I, there have been deals where I haven't, uh, it, it, actually in terms of multiple, one of the nicest deals I ever had was I didn't do the follow-on because uh, I thought it was a lousy business and I was, you know, I was wrong. Uh, so it really, it, 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 it's, it, there's no, I don't have any portfolio, personally don't have a portfolio approach. It really has to do with how much I know about the business that we were, and, and the, how much I'm a part of the process. Uh, 
And I've helped people uh, in a couple of cases buy businesses because they, I just didn't want to be in them for reasons that had nothing to do with the economics of the business. I just didn't like the businesses. But they were capable entrepreneurs and they're, and they're doing fine now. So each deal is different in that regard. I think it'll be interesting to see if this changes. Again, there's so many search funds right now. So if you've got an investor with 25, 30 search funds, it'll be interesting to see if, if that percentage goes down. I think our intention is actually to fund every deal at the acquisition. But you should know that I think the investors, if we don't like the deal, we're not gonna we're not gonna fund. Okay. So I don't know what the you know our percentage has been probably eighty to ninety percent honestly up until this point. That may change in the future. Just depends on the deal. And to your your question about the option, I mean I think we definitely look at it as an option. It gives us access to a lot of deals, and we get to watch an entrepreneur. We just try and buy the best option. So it's still the it's still making you know finding the the right person to back. I'm interested to learn um, your take on the on the search fund in Europe. And would you invest in a search fund in Europe? If yes, uh, what would you be looking for? If not, why? So, so we 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 like international search funds. There there aren't a lot. You know, I think there are two things from our perspective. One is as we build more of a portfolio, I think there is some diversification uh, benefit. So I think that's a piece of it. But secondly. Uh, there just aren't a lot of people doing it internationally. So we recently invested in a, a group out of here that's that's doing a search fund in Mexico. Um, I just talked to a guy that's raising a fund in, in Germany. Um, I think there's a guy in Australia. So from our perspective, you know, there's, there's some uh, international or country risk and some other risks, but we're actually favorable because we think that there are fewer, uh, there, there's opportunity, but there are fewer search funders out there doing it. So again, the right guy, the right story, we'd be pretty excited about it. I wouldn't because I don't want to deal with the country risk. That's, well, maybe if it were Australia, I might do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> or New Zealand. No, no, I, 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 uh, I'd rather have, uh, if, a, if a company wants to, you know, after their business is growing and they want to move abroad and through that vehicle, that's a different story. But for I, I just... Part of it is I have nothing to contribute really to a, to uh, a, 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 you know a search fund in Mexico or Germany. I mean, there there is so much about you know the culture in which that's going to be done, the nature of the legal system that I I just am not particularly useful, so I don't do them. The the one thing I'd add there is um, so so the fund we just invested in. Part of the reason why the Mexico opportunity was attractive was because of the investors that they had gathered in Mexico. Because we don't know a lot about Mexico, we felt like they would bring that knowledge, but they also had never done a search fund. So we felt like we brought the search fund expertise and, and could really add value there. So again, it's got to be the right, the right dynamics, and I think the investor group in a foreign country makes a big difference for us. Jason? Um, so you said you looked at 10 deals in the last two weeks. Is that representative of how many search funds are out there right now? I mean, if we take that over the whole year and look at it. Uh, I'm trying to think how many I've looked at this year. I'd say this year it's been probably 40. It's it's beyond description. Yeah. <coughs> there, it's it's a lot. Astonishing. So 200 plus? I mean, no, I, I wouldn't say 200. I don't know what the number is, but... I can tell you this, some of the old guard, uh, I mean, each of us kind of approached this thing differently. Uh, 
but I know uh, some investors thought they might, you know, a few years ago, tended to look at it as a portfolio and would do, you know, knowing how hard it is to pick, you know, pick winners, would try and do them all, but you just can't. And I don't, and uh, uh, Charles referred to this, it's part of the dilemma is, for an investor, is trying to figure out those who are passionate about buying and running a company versus those who just figure this is an alternative to getting a job because the job and I and I have no particular calibration of all the people I've talked to uh, but you know as I say when I the first time I got involved in this a long time ago you know I would look at one or two candidates a year and they were always newly minted MBAs and they were always Stanford students uh, and from then to now, uh, there's a huge sprinkling of very experienced people from schools all over the country. Uh, lots of teams, lots of individuals, lots of uh, uh, ex-service, uh, ex-military people. And so it's just a, uh, I, I, and, I, and it, I, I don't think, I mean, Brandon's had that experience. Uh, uh, Rich, Rich Kelly was one of your speakers, right? Yep. Yeah, I know Rich has had that experience. Lou Davies at Cambria has had that experience. Charles, do you have any opinion on, do you have any sense of how many search funds are out there now? Um, I mean, I know I get a lot of calls, <laughs> which is funny. And <laughs> it, it's a good thing that they call, but, I mean, when I was calling last year, I was, like, one of the few people that called people. I called, like, I went through and got the Center for Entrepreneurial Studies list and called every single person on that list which is literally how I first spoke to you, and I know it's how I first spoke to you. I didn't know, I, I didn't know about the legend. I just knew about you guys were former search funders. And, I mean, it's, the, the list is, is daunting, but it's still possible to stand out. I mean, and so I'd like to give a slightly different perspective. You can stand out by, it's a war of attrition. There are a lot of people who are looking into it who won't really be looking into it six months from now. And if, if you can stick with it, you're fine. The other thing you have going for you, and I hate to say this because I'm not trying to tell you how to game it, but you're going to be off cycle here soon. So if you try to raise your money now, like you don't want to be out raising your money. Everybody raises their money at more or less the same period. And what helped me tremendously, I didn't know it, and it was real difficult, but I was trying to close in November. Everyone else closes way before that. So people were like, we don't really have any money for you. I'm like, well, I still need the money. And that's, that's kind of where... <laughs> That's kind of that's kind of where you need to be. So I mean, you know, what you're experiencing right now is sort of cyclicality, like anything else. Uh, the questions you're asking are good questions. There are a ton of people trying to do this, and, and the other problem is it's a virus; it's spread. So there are people now from Chicago trying to do it. I mean, I bumped into someone from uh, Emory Business School that was trying to do it. That's not a good sign for you, but but long, but 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 if, but if you stick with it. Those, I mean, it, it, those people may not have, the, they don't have the same institutional knowledge of how to get it done as you I would say, yeah, none of those people has taken this class. Right. <laughs> so if there's any value here, you've got a little, you're a little ahead. Just by that. Sorry about that. Yeah, I was, was going to add one question around um, timing of, of race. So by the way, there are people from all over, all different schools. I've only had one guy that was a complete embarrassment that I, like, was embarrassed for him. Other than that, these are pretty talented people. The, it's much more you know, heterogeneous than it was you know, five years ago. But on, on timing, the one thing I'd warn you about is the summer. Um, sounds like that's when you started. So you know, again, if you're tenacious, you're going to get it done anyway. But most investors in the summer are gone. And so I, I think there were a lot of frustrated search funders trying to raise money this summer. 
because everyone was gone. I mean, literally gone, like, you know, off in another country doing something. So um, I actually think the beginning of, of the year is a decent time. It gives you, you know, plenty of time to raise it. You're not dealing with a, the vacation schedule. So just something to think about. Again, at the end of the day, I think if you're going to raise it, the timing, it really doesn't matter. I mean, you're either going to raise it or you're not. But I do think there are times where investors are around and you'll be able to get their ear. Let me throw in a question and then keep, keep asking questions. Um, how come more women haven't done search funds? And is there any reason, really, is there any reason why women wouldn't be successful doing a search fund? Watch out. We should ask the women in the room. Yeah, I have a clue. I mean, I've talked to a number of women who are, uh, I mean, I just met a young woman the other day who just graduated, has got a venture deal she's, she's working on. Yeah, I, uh, I, other than some probably standard demographic answers, I mean, I, I have no idea. So I, I just uh, spoke to one two weeks ago who's raising a fund. Uh, she has a partner. It's a male partner. They're not married. He's married, you know, to, to another woman. But So I, I have not seen that before. Um, so I, I've only had a phone conversation, uh, but they're actually going to come out and meet us face-to-face. -face. Uh, I don't know why. I mean, again, I'd, I'd probably ask the, uh, the ladies in the class, what, you know, if they've got thoughts. But I think there might be – I'll be interested to see if in the next several years you see a few more. I think there will be. I, I, was I mean, this is the, the search fund study from 2007 lists, I think, only one. Which is probably Karen Moriarty, yeah. so who's still at it and doing well. And so I just I don't I can't think of any reason why there wouldn't be a lot a lot more. So Austin, uh, I guess specifically, um, to, uh, Charles, I guess uh, how do you finance your? I mean, coming out of business school, if you're in learning, how do you finance your like, fundraising period, which might be four or five months? And is it fair to recoup that money from the amount you've raised? Does that count as part of your process, or are you looking at? The only thing recoupable is legal fees, theoretically, and that's to close. Uh, everything else, I mean, that's your skin in the game, and it's, I mean, it's, you're right, it's a tough situation. I mean, I don't know if it's tougher just coming out of school or trying to explain to your wife why you're not making any money. Uh, everyone has to make that, 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 that decision differently. Um, but what I will say is that, you know, it, it's... It, it, it's a it's a great clarifier. I mean, it helps you understand if you really want to do it. Uh, and and one thing that you could do is is go out and and, and figure out how to finance your search by. When I, I did a self funded search before this, and I, and I will say even that four months that I'm talking about is significantly better than a self funded search. I mean, I looked for a business for a year based upon money that I just had and didn't have anybody behind me. So it, it, it's a little tough, and I and I would tell you I don't think you you can't recoup that you can't recoup that money. I think it's hard. I think I, I, I'd agree with that. I think that's that's hard to do it. I, I do think a search is not a full. I mean, raising money for a search it does not take all your time, um, for, for the most part. So you can do other things that make money during that part of it. I think sort of searching while you have another job is is much more difficult. Rob. Uh, so, so all of us have read the search from Bible, and it obviously talks about a pretty good return on, in aggregate. But a lot of the skepticism is guys like you know Jim skew basically skew it. And I was uh, <laughs> essentially I, I was wondering from your personal perspectives, what kind of returns do you see? How many go sideways down, 
and, and kind of just from your own personal experience? Well, look, search fund investors have conclusively proven that they know how to kill companies as well as anybody. So, you know, we've had, we've had our shares of, uh, and, I say, and, I, and I blame the investors because I think it's a team effort. I mean, a company fails, uh, everybody who's involved is part of the process. I, uh, going back to my good friend Bill Egan, it's kind of like if I start out with this much money and I end up with this much and there's a lot more of it, I'm usually a happy camper. So I, I haven't, uh, I, I haven't looked at the rates of return and uh, how many have been successes versus failures. Uh, I mean, we, the, the number of times we actually get a company and it fails, those are, I mean, it's happened, but those are. Uh, pretty limited. Uh, the more common experience is a searcher just can't get a deal done. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know what the data is for all of them. But I, my sense is, if somebody can raise a group, buy a company, and run it, uh, the returns are going to be positive. Some are going to be great. Some not so great. But. Uh, but, you know, my own experience has got a little bit of everything in I would just say, uh, I think if, if the returns weren't there, uh, you know, Bob yeah. and I wouldn't be sitting here. You wouldn't have the, the investor networks. I mean, obviously, we, we think there's still an opportunity. Um, we did just have a failure about a year ago, you know, an, an acquired company. I think you learn from failures. <laughs> no, no, one wants, no one wants failure, but I think there will be failures. Um, and I think you learn a lot. Not only as an investor, but I think as an individual, I think some of my greatest lessons come through failure. So, you know, you take it and you learn from it. But I think overall, um, you know, I think there's still significant opportunity that keeps us excited about doing search funds. Yeah. Uh, what would you recommend for those of us who might not feel that we're ready to, to jump into this fund right after school, but might want to go out and engage some of these skills that Charles mentioned? Is there anything, so aside going out and like really being honest with yourself about what skills you have and you don't, and going out and pursuing those skills you think you don't, what else would you recommend if we're to take three years to do that, that we do to make sure we're either staying in contact with the community or how, how what else would you recommend? You, I bet you'll get different thoughts here. <laughs> um, I, I would recommend that, that you go out and, and get another job for a while. And, and don't forget this. Like, while you're doing it, make sure you keep talking to people in the community. Um, I have an extremely different approach to, to my life than I did when I first graduated from business school. And I know that sounds kind of hokey, but it's true. And when I first graduated, like, I was a straight-up, I'm trying to work at a venture-backed company guy. I want, you know, pre-IPO stock, all this yip yap yay. And then over time, I merged into, okay, I want to find an exciting job. And then over time, I said, okay, well, I want to run something. But... I had not burned any bridges, and I still knew people who could connect me to folks that could help me try to figure this out. And I always had conversations about it. So I, I just think that the trick is not to close any doors. And if you think this is something you might want to do, you know, once again, I mean, you, you have then you have the opportunity to talk to people for two years about it. And at some point, you can come back to them and say, okay, this is what I've done. When you work at your job, it helps you because you're focused, and you can let your boss know, I may not be here two years from now. You want to say that right away. I may not be here two years from now, but you can start building a track record within your company that will make you have more credibility <coughs> later. And you can you can have a focused approach to your job, knowing that you may not be there and want to do this. I guess is the best way I would describe. It. Yeah, one one thing I'd I'd say um, when I was graduating from business school, so obviously I, I, I'm not an entrepreneur or an investor, but 
I went to the top, uh, you know, entrepreneurship professor at the school, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about starting my own thing, and I figured he'd say, yeah, you know, here's what you should do. And I said, you know, I've got this, and I've got McKinsey as an option, and a couple other things. He said, do McKinsey. And I was just completely taken back that he would tell me, like him, which is saying, hey, you know, you should think about other options. So for, for me, what I would say is, what, what are you missing in the skill set? If you did banking or you did private equity, if you go do that again, then you come to me in two years and say, hey, I'm really, I really want to do a search fund, it's not really believable. Right? If you said, look, I, I did private equity before, I realized that I wanted to be an operator, so I took a job, even if it's a big company, in more of an operating role, or I went to a smaller company and took an operating role, that story starts to be pretty convincing. So I would say if this is something you think you want to do long term, look at the skill set you have and then figure out where the gap is so that when you do come to search fund investors or other investors, you've got a pretty compelling story. Uh, question for Charles. Um, how do you approach uh, professional development and how do you kind of track and ensure that you're developing the skills that you need to, to be both successful in the search and also in running the company? I mean, I kind of stumbled on it. I mean, I didn't have this. I mean, you guys actually have a template for it. So I mean, what he's telling you is you probably need three skill sets. You need to sort of be a banker slash PE person. You probably need some operational experience. And you probably need to be, it helps to be sort of a strategist slash consultant. It, it's, it's, I worked at BCG. I worked at Siebel and did a bunch of startups. And I worked at a private equity advisory shop. But I did not real. I looked at myself and I tried to do a search. And I could not get it done. And I knew what the hole was. And the hole was I, I did not understand how private equity money worked enough to get people interested in my deal. So then I had to like, I, mean, I had to shut down the company I was running, move from Seattle to California again with my wife, in tow, sit with her while she took the bar, and try to use every network I had to get into private equity, which at 33 years old is no mean feat. Did that, and then figured out this is what I wanted to do. So I didn't have anybody telling me what they're telling you. You can look at your resume, and I'm not being funny, but look at your resume and figure out which one of those three you're missing. And if you really want to try to get this done successfully, you might want to think about augmenting where you're, where you're missing. But I, I didn't have a holistic view, but I just knew there were things I didn't know how to do. What about the skills now that you realize you still don't have that kind of are holding you back from you know, doing whatever you need to do right now to get the search done? Or, I mean, are there things that you're kind of thinking about, like, oh, I wish I knew how to do this better, but I don't really know why I can't connect with the seller, or I don't know really you know, how to think about this industry, but it's pleasing my investors, or like when you come across those holes, like how do you, you know, improve those skills that you need to improve? I, I talk to my investors as much as they will allow me. I think Bob is tired of hearing from me, basically. Uh, but the way I get there is, I mean, there's three or four investors that will allow me to call them a lot, and I, I call them as much as they were humanly allowed to say, okay, this is where I am, I'm stuck, how do I figure this out? I, don't, I, I can't solve it. I mean, I, I ran a construction company. I can't operate heavy machinery. I can't do plumbing. I can't do electrician stuff. So I had to learn to go to people and say, I don't know how to do this. Either you do it for me or help me teach me how to do it without electrocuting myself. <laughs> It's not quite that analytical. I mean, if you just think about, uh, Peter mentioned it earlier. You, you know, you need you need interpersonal. You need, you need to be able to communicate with people, and have some sense of communications is as much emotion. It, it actually, is, communi communications is all about emotions. It's not only how you're delivering it, but how people are receiving it and how they feel in your presence. You need to know something about how to run run a company. Uh, 
and there are some other, I mean, I, I'm involved with a company, a Stanford Business School grad. Uh, he must have had, you know, he knew he wanted to do it all along, but he just didn't feel right doing it when he got out of school. So he went to work in a manufacturing company, he did some shop floor stuff, he did some sales, uh, got, eventually got to the point where he's managing, uh, and he's running an internet advertising company, which obviously has nothing to do with his background, but he got all the, the basics there. In other cases, you know, uh, you might have a lot of weaknesses, right? A lot of things you don't know, but if you, if you want to do this, I mean, the point is, we'll do it, then find people, surround yourself with people who can fill in the holes. If it's not a partner doing the search, get investors who flesh things out. So there's this sort of a delicate balance between, I mean, you could spend the rest of your life trying to become the perfect entrepreneur, which will never happen. And at some point, you just got to say, I'm going to do this. And for each of you, that point in your life is only you can figure that out. I don't know that you I, can map out a strategy, per se. I, I would add to that, I think, sort of my um, perspective, which is that you'll get a lot of strategic perspective and skills here. Um, and you'll get you know, some transaction experience here, um, but you've probably seen some of that in other places. So the stuff that's most valuable is hiring and firing people and having a P&L that you have to figure out how to move the numbers and having sales experience, either sales management experience. I think, um, you know, Bob told me 15 years ago or something, people either believe products are sold or bought, and I believe products are sold. And I, I, I thought about the time and said, you know, I, I do believe that, but I didn't really know how to do it that well when I started the search fund. But if you can figure out how to sell well and how to manage a sales process and what a really good sales process works like, in the kind of business you're going to go into, that could be direct sales, it could be customer acquisition on the internet, it could be all the above. That's really, really valuable. And so that's when people ask me, okay, I need some experience, most of the time I'm telling them, you know, hire, fire, P&L, sales management experience. And learn it someplace where they do it well. It may be a small company, maybe a big company. It doesn't really matter. Just do they do it? Do they have good practice there? Do they demonstrate that they're good at it and, and they have a good reputation for it? Yeah, I was bemused by the discussion about whether they could fire the, the, the poor salesman because as a real-life example, guy's got, some, got a company, and uh, that problem, it was a salesman just been coasting, but the guy was 55 years old with two or three kids in college. Well, that really colors, you know, in, in the entrepreneur's 30. That really colors how you're going to deal with it. Now, he eventually dealt with it. We had more than a few conversations. But, you know, there's an awful lot of information about the hiring and firing process and holding people accountable to your level of expectations and the means by which you get there. That, uh, you know, if you've, if you've done it before, then it's a lot easier than if all of a sudden this is your first time. Uh, hiring is a piece of cake. I mean... Firing, and that, takes some, that takes some real skill. Well, hiring's not a piece of cake, but from an emotional standpoint, the drain on you, firing is, uh, and, and, and knowing in, in, you're, if you're going to run a company, that your job is not to convert B players into A players because you, you don't have the time and the energy or the skill. Your job is to pick A players and get rid of all the others. Hey, you got to 
That isn't easy. Peter, I mean, Peter had, when Peter first dealt with that problem, he had hair. Look at, look at him. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know, I, I would just add to the sales piece. I mean, this is something we really look for. I bet when he said sales, half of you were like, oh, man, that's soft, you know, that it's not analytical enough, it's not media enough, or you start to fall asleep, you know. I, I, I think that sales is not taught that well in general in business school, and yet, and these types of businesses, I think it's it's the key. I mean, there, there are a lot of skills that you need, but it's the one that I think is often missing um, with folks like yourself. So, you know, specifically, a job that gives you some sales experience, because you have to sell yourself to raise the money. You have to sell yourself to a, to a seller. You have to sell yourself to your employees. you got to sell the product or service, and then you got to sell the business. Or the, issue, the issue I think I've heard from people on that, I just realized lately, is that that's not a traditional business um, path from here, and so if you go do if you go do something else, and and then decide not to do a search fund, oh well. But if you go do that, then what do you do after that? There's mm-hmm. not you sort of. I mean, I think sales and marketing are the primary path to CEO jobs in a lot of businesses. So I think you can go do that, and it is a good path. It's just not something you hear a lot of your peers going. Oh, I'm going to go take the sales management job where I'm managing a sales team of five people selling, you know, uh, you know, backyard sheds to construction yards. I mean, they just don't hear that. But I think it is, you know, if you if you look, think about building a career as opposed to <coughs> being where you want to be in three or five years, it's really a great skill set to have for a long period of time. So, this is for Charles specifically. But we, I get asked all the time, things like, how do I find a partner? Um, and, and how do you kind of come to terms on that? And, and your partner is not a classmate of yours. Um, so maybe you can kind of share how you each other and how you agreed to do this. Um, so he worked with me at Siebel Systems. And we knew each other. We worked together about a year. And we bumped into each other and I was in the middle of doing this. So it was a little bit of an unusual situation because I was probably... That's right. You were. You were down the path. Damn right. And I was probably... I was about... Oh, I was, by the way, I want you to meet my partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I've got to go with my wife to Turkey as part of this deal. Yeah. I, I'll be back. Um, what happened was I, I met him and I and I and what it, I, I didn't really I wanted to do it by my I was prepared to do it by myself. I wanted someone that I could really sort of trust because I've been in businesses before. And one of the key things that I, we talked about this earlier is the, the, when you're first working somewhere, whether you start something new or you're in a project or what have you, you need somebody that you can talk to at like three o'clock in the morning. You just need somebody. I, some people can get by without it. I, I can't. So I got to have somebody that I can say, man, I don't know what we're gonna do about this guy. Or, you know, how do we deal with these issues? And it helps to have someone that you can have that conversation with. And Chris, we talked about it, and he approached me. And he actually, we went through a, a bit of an issue to start with because we weren't sure we were going to be able to get to the funds that we needed. And that was really helpful to see how both of us reacted around that. You know, was he going to stick there? Was he going to was he going to bail? I, it was late in the game. You know, how did our wives deal with it together? And, and so um, for me, if you look at it from a strictly analytical standpoint, and then I'll go back to, to how I really felt about it. Strictly analytical, you got two guys that you could, two people, I hate to say guys, I don't mean it that way, but you got two people who can, if I'm looking at one deal and he's looking at another deal, we don't drop deals. That helps a lot for me in terms of trying to get it done because the part of the process that I was least sure about, I feel really good about my ability to run a company, not so sure about my ability to source and buy a company. That was what I was concerned about. He has a little bit better skill set there, but I thought the two of us together would work well on that. And then the second piece was what I referenced earlier. I looked at him and said, is this the kind of guy that I can go through this with? 
And we have very different skill sets. I mean, there's an investor who will remain nameless who made us take a series of personality tests. And we do have very different skill sets. And what's interesting about our situation is that we, we sort of complement each other, but there are situations where we can go left or right. Like, we get on each other's nerves a lot, but we do have complementary skill sets. So there are ways in which he's very, very much a fly-by-night cowboy type guy, although he doesn't appear to be at all, and it drives me nuts. And there are clearly ways in which I'm a maverick and can't be governed at all, and it drives him nuts. But I think we have a tendency to coalesce. Now, I'm saying all this way in advance of us actually being successful. I mean, the only thing we've ever done is raise money. So it'll be interesting to see if we can actually get a deal done. Last question, and then last, if you guys would wrap up with any advice um, that you have to search funders. Ryan. Well, let me wait. I'm sorry. Is there any, were there any back here? I had my back turned here. Okay. Ryan, thanks. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about these companies that have failed? you seen any particular trends? Are there any particular common threads among these companies that failed? Do they fail because they just picked bad business? They failed because they didn't have the right skills and you didn't really see that when they came to approach you as an investor? Can you tell us just a little bit more about those? So, so, the, so the one that uh, you know recently happened with us, I, I'd say it was just a bad business. So I'd say in general, uh, what we've seen is you pick the wrong business in the wrong industry, probably number one. It's not necessarily the management. Um, number two, I would say we've had uh, you know entrepreneurs get in there and uh, you know maybe it's not a complete failure, but it certainly doesn't generate the returns that that one would expect or hope for. Um, so I think you have some management issues. Uh, we've had a, a companionship or partnership where it, you know, all of a sudden they weren't friends anymore and they had to have counseling and, you know, um, so I think that happens as well. But in general, at least in my experience, it's been bad business and a bad industry. Last comment, Charles, just any, any last advice for, for entrepreneurs? I mean, anybody who's serious about this, I mean, trying to do a search fund should email me. And I, I'll tell you what I can, and, and I mean that's the other, that's the other piece. Like it really, you really are entering a bit of a community here. And I had no idea of this when I was graduating. It is a it is a very powerful community. It's one of the better communities you can find in all the GSB e ecosystem. But it's a community. So you're you're thinking I'm trying to get a deal done, and I, my partner went to Wharton. I love him to death, but I have to remind him sometimes. You know, I, I'm responsible to these people for the next 50 years, and I, you know I want to stay responsible to them. So you know, if you, if you got any questions, email me, and I will help everyone that I can help try to figure out how to get it done if you want to get it done. Thank you all very much. Sit down, you'll be a little more comfortable than me pacing around. Um, let me tell my search story a little bit. Um, I feel like it's since it was a long time ago, people probably know it, and but I've been reminded a little bit that they that you don't, or you don't. Um, most of you don't anyway. And um, so let me tell you a little, a little bit. And um, when I was here, I learned about this in uh, Formation of New Ventures, and I was just compelled to do it. It was just the top of my heap. And I started to do it with 
a partner who was a classmate in business school, I looked around and said, this is the guy I want to do it with. Not other people. I thought he could help me raise the money the most. That's what I thought he, that's what really attracted me to him. But I liked him. I respected him. He operated a little bit. And we wrote a document. We went to see Irv, actually, and, and uh, got some advice. And we're going down the path. And then he sat, you know, we sat down one day and he said, I really don't want to partner with this. I, I, I want to be the, the guy. And, you know, if you want to be the number two guy, you know, maybe that's okay. But otherwise, I want to do this by myself. And I didn't want to be the number two guy. I wanted to be an equal partner. So I was disappointed. It went apart. He pursued it for a while and then put it on hold and ended up doing something else entrepreneurial but not doing a search fund. Um, and then I – so I, I got out of school. This is 1989. And it was a little bit of a hard time to find a job. And I didn't find – I wanted a marketing job in – Technology. I didn't want to go back to the big company, Microsoft, that I worked for for the summer because it was just too big. They had 3,000 people. That was just massive. <laughs> and so I um, worked for a, a couple venture capital firms um, that uh, uh, I, I'd done that before business school. And so I, I had a chance to do that and just to make money on the side while I was trying to figure out how what technology firm would take me into marketing and I could learn some good practices. And then I had talked to David Dodson along the way when I was first doing it. And in December of 1989, I remember calling him on the phone and just thinking, I'll just call Dodson and talk to him a little bit. And he just reminded me that this was a doable thing and that if I wanted this, I could do this. And it just, I'll, it just the switch flipped and I just said, I'm going to do this. And I went through my, you know, my paper, it wasn't a Rolodex, but whatever it was, a dress book. And I looked at everybody I thought who I could do this with. And I found a guy who I'd worked with before. I didn't find him. I just said, that, I want to do it with this guy. So I... And there were two guys I thought that about. And I called them both up, and I sent them a bunch of material. And uh, one of them sort of said, yeah, yeah, I kind of would like to do it. He was at Harvard Business School at the time, and I'd known him from undergrad. And, but then he said, no, I don't want to. No, nah, it's just too much. And the other guy just owned it. And so we started to do it, and we searched. We raised the money in about three months. We looked for three years. It was 38 months before we closed the deal. We almost closed two other deals. Um, Bob will remember this. The first one was a construction equipment. Well, the very first one was a print offset printing company in Boulder, Colorado. The next one was a construction equipment rental company in Denver, which was a really good company, actually, and did really well. The guy just wouldn't pull the trigger at the end. And then the, and the third one was a, was a school bus company that the guy, that one of the owners, was not trustworthy. And so we were getting, we'd raised more money for that last one, and we had it, and we went back to people and said, do you want it back, or do you want to let it keep us searching? And we kept searching, and we skinnied down, and we were making about $30,000 a year, no health insurance, having a great time, but pretty nervous, and um, watching friends who went back to Microsoft. Everybody in my class who worked there in the summer went back except me, and, you know, they were worth suddenly $5 million bucks out of the out of the gate. And there were other people who were working at, at other technology companies that were doing well or had gone in onto consulting and were working at McKinsey doing really interesting things. Um, but we just kept chugging along. We found this company about two and a half years into the search and we closed it about eight months later. And um, we, along the way, got to know some of the investors really, really well and was, were able to build a board that was really strong, that had great complementarity and wisdom and knew when to shut up and when to ask for things and when to push us on things. Um, we had our first board meeting in Bakersfield, California. It was 104 degrees. They flew down a little bumpy plane, and they pretty much said, let's never meet in Bakersfield again. <laughs> and we didn't. Uh, I liked the, we liked the business. We bought a home, home 
medical equipment company. It was in Bakersfield, California. It had about 13 locations. We liked it because it was down and dirty, and there weren't a lot of people in it, and it had a lot of locations, so we figured they could have more locations, and um, the competition wasn't really tough, but their demographics were really driving it, and it was making money, and we just thought there, it was, we thought it was actually running fairly well. We got into it, and um, what else do we like about it, I guess? We just thought there was a rising tide overall. Um, we got into it, and we found out that some inventory was overstated. The accounts receivable had gone way downhill. It wasn't as profitable as we thought, and we had a big fight with the seller four months after we closed. Um, we violated every bank covenant after that first audit, and Wells Fargo Bank put us in their workout group, which was a guy named Leonard Cam in San Francisco who you know, used to come down and he'd sit down at the table and sit across from me and we'd talk for a little bit about how the business was doing. And within like five minutes, he'd say, your investors need to put in more money. And he would just start, he would just do that for like an hour. <laughs> and, uh, and I would just talk to him. My partner was running the sales and I was trying to figure stuff out. And so I just talked to him. And after about three times of doing that, um, he kind of switched over to our side, and he kind of said, you know what, you're actually the best company in my portfolio. You're, you're making money. You, could, you may make it out of this, so I'm not, you know, I guess you're not going to put in any more money, are you? I said, no, they're not going to do that. And uh, so we worked our way out of it, and we, then we picked this respiratory piece that was um, 15% of our revenues, and we focused on that. We did that because I hired somebody who was really a great leader who knew how to grow and focus on that business and knew a lot about it. We grew that a bunch. And as we grew that, we shut down other things, and we made more money, and we were growing at 50% and 60% and 70% for a while. And it was a lot of fun. It had been really scary and really uh, a lot of pressure for a while. I'd wake up in the middle of the night, and I couldn't sleep and um, didn't know how I was going to get through things and was working seven days a week in Bakersfield, California. But we figured out how to kind of build on something that was strong, and we grew a bunch. Um, the job changed. It got more interesting. My partner left, which was difficult, um, uh, but positive uh, for both of us in the long run. And we, we moved the company to Marin County, and uh, that was 12 years ago or something like that. I've been at the company 15 years. Um, along the way, we started thinking about liquidity, um, and we, I took a little bit of money off the table I don't know, maybe 10 years into it or so, enough to sort of feel like, okay, the world's not going to fall apart if the company fell apart. And then we tried to sell the business about four, three years ago or four years ago, and uh, it didn't work. We had a banker. We thought it was going to work. Something happened in the industry that just kind of threw ice water on all the potential investors. And a great process that I always thought would, I mean, the company at that point was, I don't know, 10 times bigger or 15 times bigger in terms of profit than we had been before. So we were worth a lot more, but no one would buy it. This thing happened and no one would buy it, and it was sort of a crazy time, and we were actually on vacation, and, and uh, where I'm on the phone trying to, and just sort of, boom. Um, well, it happened, we met another company six months later, nine months later, on, I mean, we've heard of them, and we introduced ourselves to them, and they ended up buying the company. It's a company called Tejin. It's a big Japanese company. It's a 10 billion, 100-year-old Japanese um, company, materials, healthcare. And uh, so last year, we got liquidity, and which was a great event. Um, I was thinking back, I think probably the most exciting time in, my, in this whole thing is when we closed the deal. I remember being in Bakersfield and closing the deal August 5th of 1993, and it, we just, it was probably the biggest high. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and maybe the biggest low was um, 
you know, probably having to go to the workout group with a bank. I was trying to think about what that would be. They're like, you know, we had to do a layoff. I had to fire a guy whose wife was critical to the business, and they were both really nice and hadn't done anything wrong. He just wasn't very good at his job. And uh, that layoff was may have been the lowest point, but maybe going to the bank workout group and having to meet with those guys all the time and um, know that, you know, they could take the keys. I mean, we were sort of saying, well, if you want it, you can take the keys to it. Um, but the highs have added up to be much higher than the lows. And, uh, and I think not just for financial reasons, but because of something that uh, my colleague David Dodson talked about. I mean, the relationships that we've built along the way inside the company, it's really different working in an operating company. It's really a lot of fun. It's just very much more alive, even than something that's very stimulating and interesting like venture capital, which is what I did before. There's just there's something about those relationships that are that are really fulfilling. And with the investors, the investors along the way, some I got to know really well. One I think I never met in the whole time. I never met before he invested. He never, you know, he bought out halfway through, maybe because we never met. But he, you know, it was fine. Someone else bought his shares and did really well on them. But half the investors probably I became very good friends with. Um, we had government investigations. We had an audit where we got a letter one day that the, when we were probably 25 million in revenues, maybe th maybe more than that, maybe 40, and the, it said you owe us seven million dollars. Pay in 30 days, or you know we're going to stop paying you and attach your assets. So, you know, what do you do with that? Well, we went through a long process, and um, I actually didn't freak out when we got that letter. It was, I was worried, but at the end of the day, after um, doing a good job with it, we ended up paying about. $3,200. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah, that's what Tyler sort of, yeah, that's sort of a, um, so there, there are lows, but the highs have been fantastic. I would like to say, you don't forget your partner in this. I have a few pieces of, of less of, of ending advice to you, but I would um, like to ask um, my wife, April, who's, the, who's over here, to just, for you guys who have partners, um, at home, not business partners, just to comment on what was, what was it like early in the search? Not, you know, we're going to be in Boston or in Bakersfield. What was it like along the way, and what advice would you have for people? Or for, the, for their partners, too. Okay, I guess I would say there's during the search, which you definitely have to have an adventurous mindset, because I was living in Colorado and having a great life over there. Peter was in San Francisco, 17 years ago this was, right? Wow. And I would call him, He's, it would be, I'm looking at Christmas trees in Oregon. And I'd get really, well, oh, Oregon, yeah, Oregon. <laughs> I like Oregon. And then it was three weeks later, no, 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 that didn't work out. It's Los Angeles school buses. Oh, LA, okay, LA. Well. You can imagine we went from tree farms to frozen pie crusts, and I don't even know where that was, to, and in these deals, your mind, you think, okay, that's where I'm going to be. I'll start looking for rentals right away, and then we ended up in Bakersfield. And actually, for the record, it was Oildale. It wasn't even Bakersfield. It's Oildale. So it was hard to get, did you get that on the camera? Oildale. It was hard to get excited about living in Bakersfield, and um, but it, it was exciting what you were saying, that getting the deal done, but then you forgot there was this whole 
chapter, you know, chapter two of running the business and how hard Peter worked and the hours that he put into it. I really had no idea how much time he had to put into it. So we didn't, I fortunately had another job that I traveled with, so we, we worked it out, but they were long, long weeks. <laughs> and um, how about the later stages? How how those been? Well, one thing. <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along. You know, it's interesting because you mentioned a few things, Bob. That what stood out for me that was really hard, like the sleepless nights in Bakersfield, were all over firing people. And that is what stood out for me as being the hardest thing, if you asked me for Peter in this couple of years. It wasn't the running of the business and the day-to-day, -day, the operations, it was firing people. And whenever you did do it, it was just a huge burden off his shoulders. And I remember always hearing, like, in hindsight, you should have fired them even earlier. You know, that first question that came up about doing it sooner or later, that was interesting. But, um, and having a fantastic board. He had a board that he could call anyone on the board for advice on issues, and they were very engaged, and they all worked well together, and that stood out for me. Any last words of advice for, um partners that for, for folks here who are thinking about it could take back to their partners and how to survive Don't it or do it well? babies during the search fund. <laughs> Don't have, not really. It's just, it's a huge, tremendous commitment and it's, you have to really just keep an open mind and be, get it like a great adventure. I would volunteer that the partner's got to be tuned in just like you are. I mean, we've had at least one situation where it, 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 she wasn't and they tried to make it work and, and you know, it just was a nightmare because it is not a nice, easy climb up this way. I mean, it, it, it just, so you have, to, you have to both be on the same page. Let me wrap up with some last comments. Um, since we're running out of time, and I want to respect your time. We do have a survey at the end that we're going to that we're going to distribute on the classes and the guests here. If you could either fill it out and take a few minutes today, or matter of fact, if you could pass maybe start passing it out now, Lisa, or turn it into the CES in the next couple of days, that'd be great. Um, before choosing uh, entrepreneurship through acquisition, I would say give you a couple pieces of advice. First of all, be clear about your objectives. What are you doing this for? Are you doing it to make money? Are you doing it because you want to enjoy, because you think you'll enjoy the journey, or because you want to run a company. If your if your goal is to do deals or to get rich uh, quickly, do do private equity. Don't don't do this. Those may come from it, but this is not about doing a deal. It's about running a company primarily, and I think um, it's a good way to get there. But I think you won't be satisfied if, if what you really enjoy is the transaction, which there is absolutely nothing wrong with. That is a fantastic way to go, and um, I have some good friends and people I respect immensely who do that. Um, if you want to run a company, um, develop relationships with investors along the way as soon as you start going. Think carefully about now or later. 
there, I think it's right. Either one is right for different people. I did it right out of business school, but if you notice, it's sort of a year. I was really a year out. Um, I didn't have significant additional experience, but it's harder to leave your life behind if you do it later, but it's absolutely doable. Just keep in mind, I think Charles had great advice. Stay in touch with people. Don't forget why you're doing this. Keep building your skill set. Uh, build experience with people and companies who have good practices and the key value drivers. That, that's what I said down here. Hire, fire, P&L, sales, executing at acquisitions, marketing, and applied IT are the things I think of as the big value drivers generically. It's different by different company and industry. Create a track record for yourself now and as you go through the process. Um, so, so that's if you're just thinking of doing it. I think it's really a terrific uh, path for some people that in the little I've gotten to know you in this class today, I think would be good for, for some of you, but not for, not for all of you. Uh, just general comments going forward. Think in terms of a long career, either this way or in another way. I think it's very easy to, uh, to try and get to the pinnacle really quickly, like in two or three or five years. You're going to have a long career no matter how you do it. Think in terms of that. Build your reputation. Create a track record. Build your leadership skills. You've gotten great ones here, but there's more to get in the real world. And you know where those areas are if you know yourself. Take the time to really build a good career. You are part of community that's not just search funds that Charles referred to, but the whole business school. And you want to be accountable to that community and part of it and a contributing part of it for a long time. And that takes some work. Uh, Go to work in companies where they do things well and, and uh, sacrifice other things to be willing to do that, either to learn search fund skills or just in your career. Uh, seize opportunities, but build your abilities along the way to be able to seize opportunities. They will pop up and you'll want to jump on them and be prepared to do that, but it doesn't hurt to, uh, to just build your skills as you go. From positions of strength, I'd say take risks. Stretch yourself. Do things that make you uncomfortable. Be willing to take risks. Failure in the short term can lead to great success down the road, and you shouldn't be worried about it too much. You're in a really good position, even if those of you with debt. I had a lot of debt coming out of here. Uh, I figured out a way to make it all work, and, uh, and I wouldn't be where I was today if I didn't take some risk. Ask for help. People who are very successful are terrible at asking for help. Ask for help from your... Classmates, there are amazing people in your class. You kind of know that, but you won't really realize it till later. Ask for help from advisors, from friends, and, uh, and that will take you a long way. It will help you solve, solve a lot of problems. If what you're really after in the long run is happiness, uh, it, it doesn't come from material success. It doesn't hurt it, but it really doesn't come from that. It comes from, in my view, this is just my opinion, um, backed up by some research, I will say, but from strong marriages, from good relationships with, with peers and friends, um, and from new endeavors that fit you and fit things that, that uh, get you excited and give you great satisfaction. And lastly, I'll just say, uh, do it with integrity. Uh, you can get better at integrity over time. I think that um, someone I respect a great deal was asked if his integrity got better as he had more money. And, and he had to admit that, in fact, it did. And that, uh, that it, at, over time, he got better at better at living with integrity, being and acting with who he really was, but also making good decisions long term that maybe hurt in the short term, but were, were the right things. You can do that, and you will get much further with that. Um, I want to say thank you again for committing to this class. Thank you for going on the journey with me. 
It's been a lot of fun in very small ways. I feel like I've gotten to know everybody in this room uh, better, and I appreciate that. And uh, I can say that uh, this will always be the first class that I ever taught. Thank you for being in it with me. For more, please visit us at stanford.edu.